Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight we finish up our Bible study series on the life of Peter. We've subtitled it from Fisherman to Follower of Jesus. And the title is Peter the Pioneer. And this is the 23rd lesson in the life of Peter. We have been tracing him all the way from the beginning in the Gospels when Jesus called him. Um, Actually, before Jesus called him. He met Jesus before Jesus called him. And uh, if you missed any of those, you can go online and listen to them if you'd like to. If you're really interested in it, you can even download the handout sheets if you want to do that and print them out yourself and and, um, take notes. But anyway, uh, I am always very careful to give credit where credit is due. Most all of my sermons in Bible studies, 90-something percent of them, I totally, completely, 100% do myself. I mean, I study lots of resources, but it's all mine. But as I was studying for tonight, saying, how can we wrap up the life of Peter? I was doing some research in some Bible encyclopedias about the life of Peter. And one in particular, Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary, had a really good outline. So I adapted it a little bit, but all the rest of the stuff is mine. So I'm just giving credit there. I'm very heavily leaning for the outline on Nelson's Bible, um, Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary. But the other information is mine, okay? So tonight we're going to talk about Peter the Pioneer. What is a pioneer? What is the definition of pioneer? Somebody say, what is a pioneer? How would you define it? Groundbreaking people that moves around. It sounds like a Zumba class. Now, I know what you mean. What did you say, Janet? A trailblazer, somebody who starts something. Okay. Anything else to add to that? Definition of a pioneer. Chris. Turning the upside down, right side up. Well, that, we certainly needed some pioneers to do that in the early church. We were accused of doing that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, according to the dictionary, um, the longer definition, not the one on your note sheet, is a person who is among the first to explore or settle a new country or area. Now, that's in a physical sense. If you think of the establishment and expansion of our country, the pioneers are the ones that were always pushing to the edge, going into the wilderness, going out into the west and into the mountains and all the way to the west coast. But it's also true in a figurative sense. People who push into new areas of knowledge and science and education, they're considered pioneers, the first ones to push beyond the limits. The actual definition I have on your note sheet, because I wanted to keep it short, sweet, and simple and spicy, like Lynn likes to say, the first person or people to do something. <laughs> the first person or people to do something. Now, we've been studying the life of Simon Peter, and we've been through a lot, okay? Simon Peter, as you probably are aware of, is the most prominent of Jesus' 12 uh, original disciples slash apostles. Um, there is more said about Peter than any other disciple slash apostle in the New Testament, except... For one, trivia question, who's the one that has a lot more said about them and we know a lot more about in the New Testament than Peter? Paul, yeah, exactly, Paul, okay? But Peter has been said to have been a pioneer among the 12 apostles and the early church. In what way or in what ways was Peter a pioneer? If a pioneer is someone who pushes the boundaries, goes beyond... 
the first one to do so. In what way or ways was Peter? Norris? Mm-hmm. That's one of them. Yeah, Peter was the first one that we have recorded, uh, and that's deliberate on God's part, as introducing the gospel to the Gentiles. Yeah. What other ways or way was Peter a pioneer? Chris? Oh, I'm sorry. I'll come to you next. Okay, outside of Jesus, he was the only man that walked on water. Okay? And it wasn't because he knew where the rocks were. <laughs> Lynn? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh-huh. Then he walked on water? Yeah. I shouldn't do this, but I heard a story one time about these three preachers that were in a boat fishing. And uh, it was three different denominations. We won't even give them the denominations. And so they're out there fishing. And one of them gets, I've left my lunch. On the shore, so he gets up, he walks across the water, gets his lunch, comes back, and he's eating his lunch. And the other guy, the guy's looking at him, and then another guy, he says, "Oh, I forgot something." He gets up, walks, and comes back, and then the other guy says, "Why don't we give it a try?" He steps out, and he sinks down, almost drowns. He says, "How'd you guys do this?" He says, "Well, we know where stepping stones are." So, anyway, anyway, anyway. So, any other ideas about how Peter was a pioneer? Yes. He was the first one to declare, acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. Yeah, that's what we're going to look at, actually, in Matthew 16, verses 15 to 19. And we're not going to dig deeply into this passage because we already did. It was one of the lessons that we had, but this provides the foundation of him being a um, pioneer. Okay, so as we look at Matthew 16 and when we look at verse 15, we're actually picking up in the middle of the story. The story is that Jesus and the disciples have actually gone outside of Israel proper for kind of a retreat. And while they're there getting some rest and some teaching and some training, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And so the disciples are giving all kinds of suggestions. Some say you're Elijah, come back. You know, some say you're this person, you're a prophet. Some even said you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead. And he turns and he says, well, who do you say that I am? Okay. And that's where we pick it up here in verse 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, which means son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, there's... Probably some of the most debated topics and such in all of Christendom in those couple of verses. And we did talk about it in some depth the night we dealt with this. Uh, This is the passage upon which the Roman Catholic Church says that Peter was the first pope and was instituted by Jesus to be the head of his church for all time to be passed down from pope to pope to pope to pope to pope to pope. That's not what we believe. And then there's been questions about what does this mean about the keys of the kingdom and how is the church built on Peter. We're going to just touch base on that a little bit tonight. But one thing that is very, very clear is that Jesus is saying here that Peter's going to have a very, very important part in building the early church. Okay, Jesus is the one that builds the church. I will build the church. Upon this rock. What's the rock? Well, Peter's name means rock, but it could be Peter's declaration. It could be the faith he showed. It could be he's talking about himself because Jesus is the rock. But when we look at other scripture, we see that Peter did have a pioneering role in the founding of the church. But he wasn't the only one. Okay? On your note sheet, it says here, the foundation of the church is made up of two things. Number one, Jesus as the cornerstone. 
Now, I put those other verses on there so you can pursue it further if you want to, but Matthew 21, 42, Acts 4, verses 11 to 12, and 1 Corinthians 3, 11, all three talk about how Jesus is ultimately the foundation of the church because he's the cornerstone. You all know what a cornerstone is? What's a cornerstone? What is a cornerstone? You can't just define a word with a word. What's a, cor- a cornerstone? Is a cornerstone. Okay. Well, what is a cornerstone? Chris? That's right. It's the first stone that's laid to kind of set it in the right place and in the right line everything up. Okay, without that, everything else is a mess. Okay, so it's Jesus is the cornerstone. But Peter and the other apostles, the foundation stones. So that's how we know it's not just about Peter. I mean, Peter's the one that said, Jesus, you are Son of the living God, the Messiah, the Christ, whatever. And Jesus said, you know, you didn't come with that on your own. God told you, and upon this rock of But the thing is, is later in Scripture we find out that, yeah, Peter is a foundation stone, but he's not the only one. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, Paul is describing the church, and he calls it the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So Jesus is the cornerstone. But the other apostles and prophets that were there in the early church were all some of the foundation. But that being said, I think sometimes um, those of us who may not be Catholic, which I guess I'm still considered Catholic because I was born and raised Catholic, and I've heard once you're a Catholic, the Catholic Church never denies you. You're always still a Catholic, so I guess I'm still a Catholic. But anyway, um, where was I going with that? Okay, I got myself lost. All right, so... Uh, you know, I, what I was going to say is sometimes those of us who are not Catholics, evangelists, whatever, we may downgrade the importance of Peter because we're so afraid of, you know, affirming what we don't think we believe. But Peter played a significant role in the early church. Okay. It's one of the reasons why he's mentioned so much, why we studied him. So these next six things are basically what I was referred to earlier that I got from Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary, although I changed them up a little bit. Areas in which Peter was the first. And if you've been part of the study all along or you've studied Peter's life on your own, read the Gospels very much, you'll probably recognize most of these, except the last one doesn't come from the Bible, it comes from church tradition. The first one is that Peter was the first disciple to be called. The first disciple to be called. This passage, we're not going to read it tonight, but Luke 5, 1 to 11, we studied in our process of studying Peter's life, and then I ended up preaching on it too because on Sundays we were preaching our way through Luke. But this is that story when Jesus had not yet called the disciples, even though they knew Jesus, Jesus knew them. They'd already met, and Jesus is teaching on the seashore one day, and the people are really crowding him, and so he asks if he can get into Peter's boat put out a little bit so that people won't crowd him, more, better acoustics. And Peter and his brother Andrew and um, uh, their partners, it seems like partners, James and John are fishermen. They've been fishing all night long, and they didn't catch any fish. They're cleaning their nets. They're ready to go home and go to bed. They didn't make any money that day, that night. Peter says, sure, you can use it. So pushes out there. Peter's still cleaning his nose. Jesus does his teaching. He gets done, and Peter's probably thinking, yes, I can go home and crawl in bed. And Jesus said, hey, Peter, let's go out on the lake and uh, catch some fish. And Peter says, as you know, it's like Peter saying, I'm the fisherman. You're a teacher. You know, we're not going to catch, you don't catch fish in the daytime very well. It's nighttime you catch the fish. We went out, we didn't catch nothing. But then he says, you know what, though, since you said to do it, I'll do it. 
and then he caught the biggest catch of fish he'd ever caught in his life. And Peter fell to his knees and realized this this guy's somebody special. This is he says, Lord, you need to leave me. I am a sinful man. I don't deserve to be in your presence, to paraphrase what he says. And Peter says, No, you know what? You come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And he calls all of them, all four of them go, but he's talking to Peter. So Peter was the first disciple to be called. As I said, him and his brother Andrew were fishermen, and they were probably in partnership with James and John. And so they were four of the original, but Peter was the one he was talking to in the very, very first one. The second thing, second first we have for Peter, is Peter was first among the apostles. If you were to look at Mark chapter 3, verses 14 to 19, it basically just talks about how Jesus was praying. Luke has a similar story. and Luke, it says that Jesus prayed all night long up on a mountain. Because Jesus didn't have just 12 disciples. He had multitudes of disciples. A disciple is just a follower, a learner. At one time, he sent out 72 disciples you know, to do some ministry. But he wanted to narrow it down to an intimate group of 12. And... Um, he prayed all night long and uh, came out of that prayer meeting with those 12, and they're listed in Mark chapter 3, verse 14 to 19, but every place that the 12 apostles are listed, Peter's name is first, and it's not because it's alphabetical, okay? It's because Peter was the first among the apostles. We, we see that Jesus had disciples, which means learners or apprentices, okay? And he was the first disciple to be called, like we said in number one. But then he named those 12 apostles, which means sent ones, those who are commissioned to represent and carry out um, activity on behalf of somebody else, sort of like an ambassador, okay? And so his name is at the head of every single list of the 12 in the New Testament. And it's quite obvious that he's probably the strongest, and I don't mean physically strongest, although that could have been true. Fishing was a very physical job, but he's the strongest individual in the group. What, what clues do we have in the story of Peter, for those of you that know it, that Peter is a strong guy? I mean, he's, he's out there. He's a leader. <laughs> he was ready to fight in the garden, right? When they're ready to get Jesus, he just whips out that sword. He doesn't have very good aim, but we can say it was dark. <laughs> Cut off Malchus's ear, all right? What else indicates that Peter was a very strong individual? He was very opinionated, which the others might have been too, but he was the one that spoke up, right? I mean, he was not only opinionated, but he was vocal about it, right? Yeah. He always seemed to be the one ready to take the first step, you know, to take the lead, to do things that others wouldn't do. You know, we already talked, somebody mentioned about Peter stepping out of the boat, walking on the water, and we looked at him and said, oh, but he looked at the winds and the waves and he sank, but he was the only disciple who got out of the boat, you know, it hasn't been mentioned yet tonight, but we talk about Jesus, uh, Peter denying Jesus three times, but he was in the courtyard. Yeah. You know, even though he abandoned Jesus in the garden with the rest of the disciples, he ended up coming back and following them along with John. We don't know what all was going on with John because it doesn't say in the Bible, but it's because of John they got into the courtyard, and Peter's there. He did deny, but he's there. So he shows all kinds of signs um, of being a leader. He, he was the spokesperson. He's usually the one that's speaking up. Um, another factor, it's not on your note sheet, so don't worry about it. You've got to fill it in, is that within the 12, there was even a, a smaller group that Jesus was very, very close to. It was Peter and two other disciples. Who were the other two disciples? John and James. John and James. Yeah. It always makes me wonder how Andrew felt 
Because it was the four of them, Peter and his brother Andrew, James and John, they were all partners. And now Jesus has got three close disciples and Andrew's not part of it, but we don't know. So Peter, James and John, but even of those three, Peter seems to be the leader. He's the primary one. These three, Jesus took places he didn't take the other twelve. He took them in to the inner room and he raised the young girl from the dead. He took them up on the mountain for the transfiguration. They were the three he took a little bit farther in the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with him. And they all three fell asleep. So Peter was the first among the apostles and was a leader. Okay, Number three is the one that um, Sharon mentioned. He was the first apostle to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. That's the passage we just read. Okay, And uh, Jesus made it very clear it's not because he was so smart. It's because God revealed it to him. But he was the one that just stated it right out there. Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Number four, he was the first apostle to witness the resurrection. Again, a trivia question. He was not the first person to witness the resurrection. He was the first apostle to witness the resurrection. Who was the first person to witness the resurrection? Mary. Mary Magdalene. That's right. Which is amazing. That's, that's, that's another major proof for the resurrection because women in their culture were not allowed to be witnesses of anything. And if the gospel writers were trying to make up this story, they never would have made women the primary witnesses to the resurrection or the first witnesses to the resurrection, but they did. Okay? So it was the women. But Peter was the first of the disciples. We don't know exactly how it happened. We know it happened sometime between when Peter, Jesus appeared to the women and when he appeared to the other disciples that night. Okay, We can read that. You can read that in Luke 24, 34 and 1 Corinthians 15, 5. Hmm? He told the ladies that. Yeah, he did tell the ladies to go and tell Peter. But in Luke 24, 34 is the story of the two disciples that weren't part of the 12 that were leaving Jerusalem on their way to Emmaus. Remember, and Jesus showed up to them. And they came back, running back to Jerusalem and said, Jesus showed up. And they said, we know he's alive because he appeared to Peter this afternoon, to paraphrase. Okay. And then in 1 Corinthians, Paul was talking about all the people that Jesus appeared to in his resurrected form. And he said, first to Peter before the other disciples. So he was the first apostle. And that's so ironic because he's the one that denied him, right? But like we said, he was actually there. Okay. Um, number five, that goes back to what Norris said, but adds a little bit more to it. He was the first apostle to proclaim salvation to both Jews and Gentiles. Okay? You know, that's part of the answer, if not the full answer, to when Jesus said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. That's the ability to open and close. And Jesus, uh, Peter, God used Peter on the day of Pentecost, the very first opportunity to open the doors of the kingdom to the Jewish people. And uh, I put on the note sheet to Jews and Gentiles. But in between there, he had a a very, very important influence in Samaritans, too. He wasn't one that introduced the Samaritans. In case you don't know, the Samaritans were half Jew and half not. So it's kind of like a step in between the Jews and the Gentiles. But God had sent one of the original deacons, Philip, to go preach to the the, uh, Samaritans. And they became Christians. They were believers. They were baptized. But they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. And the church in Jerusalem heard about it and said, can God really be saving Samaritans? Because they were enemies. So they sent John and Peter up to check it out, and sure enough, God was saving Samaritans, but they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So even though he wasn't the one that introduced them to Jesus, he still had a primary uh, influence in them receiving the Holy Spirit. And then, as Norris mentioned, uh, we studied just recently 
uh, Acts chapter 10 and 11 is all about how God worked in and through Peter to break down their cultural barriers between the Jews and Gentiles. And Peter brought the gospel to Cornelius' house, okay, in Acts 10 and 11. Now, some intervening things that we studied, you know, um, a little bit later on. James, the brother of John, was arrested by Herod and he was put to death. We studied that a couple weeks ago. Herod had such a good response to putting James to death, he arrested Peter and put him in jail, was going to put him to death, but God delivered him through an angel, miraculously. And then shortly after that, Peter drops from view. You know, Peter knows that he's a wanted man, so he goes and reports, I'm alive, I'm free, I'm leaving. (laughs) And it just says he went elsewhere. You know, the only other place he shows up, and we talked about this last week, is that he was present in Jerusalem for the Jerusalem Council where they debated the whole thing about, will God really save Gentiles without them becoming Jews first and all that kind of stuff. And, and he showed up in Antioch. We studied that last week also. But then we don't read anything more about him because as Luke writes the story of Acts, he shifts gears right there. Okay, It's Peter versus chapters 1 through 11 or 1 through 12. And then he focuses on Paul because that's the next step, taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And Peter's still ministering to the Jews. And so he focuses on Paul. Okay. Um, but that leads us to number six. And again, number six is not from Scripture. It's just from church tradition, so just take it with a grain of salt. But number six, Peter in Rome, the first to inspire the writing of a gospel. This is speculation, okay? According to early Christian tradition, and this is very early Christian tradition, from about eighty one twenty five. okay? So this is probably within 50, 60, 65 years of Peter's death. There is a church, what they call the Church Fathers, the great theologians, church leaders of the day. His name was Papias, and he was writing, and he said that Peter went to Rome and spent some time there, ministered there, but he was eventually arrested, and he was crucified there. And I don't know if it was Papias or not, but one of the church writers said that he was to be crucified. He said, I don't deserve to be crucified the way Jesus was, and so they crucified him upside down. Um, I believe his wife was crucified at the same time. I can't imagine what that must have been like. But anyway, Papias also said that Mark had been his traveling companion, his interpreter, and that it was because of Peter's influence and his recollection that led to Mark writing the gospel. And most Bible scholars believe that Mark was the very, very first gospel written. So it's Mark's gospel, but it's almost like it's Peter's gospel too because that's where Mark got most of his information. So he was the first to inspire the writing of the gospel. All right. Now, I did go through that first part very quickly on purpose because I want to spend most of our time talking about, uh, you know, all along for each lesson we've been talking about, how can we apply this to our lives? Because even though Peter's a very special person, he was very human. And we've been looking at his humanness. He did a lot of things right. He did a number of things wrong. He was very zealous. And he expressed that in the right ways and the wrong ways. But as we talk about him being a pioneer, it would be very, very easy to say, oh, well, he was a very special person. Jesus spoke, uh, chose him specifically because he must have been very, very unique. He was unique. We're all unique, okay? So I don't know if we can really relate. But we find that the main reasons why Jesus was able to use him had absolutely nothing to do with his uniqueness but with his response to Jesus. So what I want to do with the rest of our time is say... What can we learn from Peter's life and his relationship with Jesus that apply to us too, even though we're not founders, we may not feel that we're all that special, although I'll just tell you you are special to God, we all are. But what can we learn from Peter's life that is true for all of us? Okay? And so I've got 
four of them here. There may be more. We're going to take them one at a time, and then I'm going to ask you, what are some examples of it that we see this from Peter's life? So the first one is this. Peter followed Jesus quickly, closely, and passionately. He didn't just follow Jesus, but he did it quickly. He did it closely, and he did it passionately. So out of all of our study of his life, whether you were here or not, and you studied it on your own, what are some examples from Peter's life that we see where he followed Jesus quickly, closely, passionately, two out of three, or all three? What are some examples? John? Exactly. I mean, he was ready to defend Jesus' life uh, by fighting. You know? And going back a little earlier that night when Jesus said, y'all are going to desert me. Peter says, they all might do that, but not me. I'm not going to do it. The passion there. Jesus, I'm all for you. Yeah. They left. Yeah. When Jesus called him, them, because there was all four of them, it says that they all left their boats, their nets, the fishes. And, and, and we talked about that that day. That, that doesn't mean they just abandoned them on the beach. They were part of a group of people that fished, probably James and John's father. You know, was involved in that, so they took over. But, you know, it wasn't just of, okay, well, I'm willing to leave my occupation. That's a big deal. But keep in mind, this is the biggest catch they'd ever had. I mean, this is like leaving thousands of dollars on the beach. All right? You know, enough money to cover next month with however much, you know, expenses. And they just leave it on the beach to follow. So that's quickly, and that shows passion, too. What are some examples from Peter's life that show the quickness and the passion and zealousness? Yeah, Norris. That's right. As we mentioned before, even though he denied Christ in the courtyard, he was in the courtyard. You know, he followed Jesus to the trial. Him and John both. Okay. Any other examples? Lynn. I'm not going to repeat all that for the recording, but I'll report some of it. Yeah, he was just full of that passion, that zeal on the day of Pentecost. And even in the, in, in the face of the enemy, what would be concerned, he said, you all crucified Jesus. And he did on the day of Pentecost. But also when he was arrested, both times he was arrested. And he's talking to the religious leaders. He says, by the way, I'm talking about Jesus, the guy you crucified. <laughs> so his boldness is an example of his passion. Yeah. Chris. That's right. Um, and that goes along with what uh, Lynn was saying, too, about you know just knowing that he was God. There was that one event. It's in John. I forget what chapter. But Jesus was doing some teaching, and, and he deliberately said some hard things. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, it was a spiritual thing. But it says there were quite a few of the disciples, not the 12, but other followers. It's like They didn't understand that. That was a little confusing, and they got a little offended. They walked away. And Jesus asked the disciples, are you guys going to leave, too? And Peter spoke up and says, who are we going to go to? You're the one. He's like, you know, if we could put words in his mouth that I think we're probably there. We didn't understand it any better than they did, but we believe in you, okay? We have nobody else to go to. You're the Messiah. You're the one. We're going to keep following you. All right. So there's a number of examples. Let me see if I got any others. Um, walking on the water. Jesus is out on the water, you know, and Jesus says, don't worry, it's I. And Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come, you know. And it's like, well, Peter, it could have been somebody deceiving you, <laughs> You know, what if it was a demon or something? But Peter said, no. And just, so the passion, just willing to jump out on the, on the water. If Jesus is out there, I can go out there too. I want to be with him. Joe. Exactly. Yeah, Jesus said, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you threw. Go ahead. Exactly. The one thing that Jesus rebu- really rebuked him for when he said, get behind me, Satan. He wasn't talking about Peter. He was talking about Satan's influence in Peter and through Peter. It's because... Um, Jesus said, I'm going to be crucified. You know, I'm going to be betrayed. And Peter says, no way, God. You know, that's, that can't happen. 
you know, but it's because of his passion, because of his love. Okay, and so you got that. Um, you got the foot washing. You know, when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, he says, "No, Lord, you can't wash my feet." He says, if, you, "If I don't wash your feet, you don't have nothing to do with me." Oh, Jesus, give me a bath. You know? <laughs> so the passion and the zeal came through there. You know, and um, even after he had he had denied Jesus. You know, when they're sitting on the shore, and and Jesus asked Peter, "Do you really love me, Peter?" And he says, "Yes, Lord, I really love you." And that's heartfelt. Okay. So how do we apply that to our life? Peter followed Jesus quickly, closely, passionately. What does that mean for us? It is a good example for us. You know, we can examine ourselves. Lord, how closely do I follow you? You know, is it just when it's convenient? If it's just along the path that I'm already going on or I want to go on, how passionate? Now, when I say passionate, that doesn't necessarily mean emotional. All of us are different in the way we feel and express emotion. But passion is more than emotion. I mean, it involves emotion. But passion just means you really believe in something and so you give yourself to it, whether you're emotionally involved or not. Lisa, you had your hand up. Okay, to not feel like you have to understand everything to just follow Jesus and to obey and to do what he asks. That's a good application there. Yeah, so good question to ask. You know, am I passionate about following? And how quickly? You know, I heard, I forget who it was, but I remember reading one time that somebody said the greatest, um, the greatest way you can examine your um, level of maturity in Jesus is how quickly you obey. You know, the longer it takes you to obey something that you know God has deliberately told you, that's an indication of the level of your maturity. And we all are at different places, and it depends on the area, right? We may be really good in one area, but not another area, so... Okay, so the second thing that we can learn from his life, number two, Peter sometimes failed, but he always returned to Jesus. Peter sometimes failed, and we got more records of his failures than just about anybody else except for the Israelites. We've got, we've got long lists, records of the failures of the Israelites, but of individuals. He sometimes failed, but he always returned to Jesus. Where are some examples in Scripture where he failed, but he returned to Jesus? Yeah, after he denied Christ. You know, that, that whole story, it says that he's sitting there, he denies Jesus three times. The rooster crows, and it says that things were such that Jesus could look out a window or something and see Peter, and Peter saw him. Jesus looked at him, and he immediately broke, and he left, and he wept bitterly, and he repented. So he failed, but it's like he didn't try to justify, he didn't try to excuse. He immediately broke. And repented. Okay. Any other examples of when he failed, but he also returned to Jesus? Tim. Mm-hmm. Exactly. When he was walking on the water, showed that first faith, but then he looked away from Jesus to the storm, which we do so often. You know, we can't fault Peter because we do the same thing in a, in a figurative sense. You know, we look to Jesus full of faith, and then a storm rises. We're looking at the storm. It's like... You know, we start sinking. But he didn't try to go back to the boat. Doesn't say he tried to tread water. I'm not saying he didn't either. But he immediately called out to Jesus. Yeah. Any other examples uh, you can see where Jesus failed and then immediately turned back to Jesus? Yes. That was a couple weeks ago. That was last week. Maybe. Anyway, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I actually have that on my list, Lynn. In fact, Lynn said something really interesting last week after it was over, and I wanted to be sure to mention that, is he made a point to, we were talking after the service, that Peter was not a hypocrite. He just, 
had that one act of hypocrisy, and that's a very important distinction. He was not somebody who lived a life of hypocrisy, but he did have that one act when he you know, separated himself from the Gentiles to only eat with the Jews, and that was last week's lesson, so you can go back and listen to that. But we can, it's only speculation, but obviously he must have made it right after he had been rebuked by Paul, or he wouldn't have been continued to be used the way he was in the church. Okay, so I would like to believe, and it would seem to indicate that when Paul rebuked him, he repented, got back on track, and probably, hopefully, did it very quickly. Okay? Any other examples of um, Peter failing but then returning to Jesus? Mm-hmm. A second time, he's basically said, no, Lord. <laughs> when he's on the roof and God says, kill and eat, he says, no, Lord, I've never done that. And three times, because three is Peter's number. Yeah, but then he says, okay, Lord. Yeah. Norris. He stayed with him. Yeah. That's right. Well, after Jesus rebuked him, he stayed. Yeah, he did. And, of course, we got the whole thing of when, you know, he, he, he um, you know, after denying Jesus, it would have been so easy to just walk away then. Like, I did the ultimate. But he still ran to the tomb when he heard it was empty. You know, at that time they didn't know, they hadn't seen Jesus yet. And, um, you know, and he's with the disciples when Jesus shows up. And, um, and Jesus says, do you love me? He says, yes, I love you. So he, he always returned to Jesus, okay? The third one is Peter pointed people to Jesus, not himself. Now, on that one, I'm not saying 100% of the time because we know that Peter, along with all the disciples earlier in their time with Jesus, were constantly arguing about who is the most important, which is the ultimate in pointing at yourself, okay? So earlier in Jesus' ministry, when they'd first been called, they wouldn't say that they're putting themselves in front of Jesus, but they were all like, well, I'm second. Jesus is one, and I want to be second. So they're always trying to put themselves forward. But as we see him grow and mature, we see him begin to point people to Jesus. So what are some examples of Peter pointing people to Jesus and not himself? On the day of Pentecost. Exactly. You know, when Peter gets up to preach on the day of Pentecost, there is nothing about him in that sermon. It's all pointed to Jesus. Right? Yeah. Tim. Mm-hmm. That's right. When the man was healed at the gate, yeah, people were like, oh, wow, you guys are something special, seems to indicate. Peter says, no, it wasn't us. It was God. It was Jesus. Yeah, it was Jesus. Any other examples of when um, Peter pointed people to Jesus on himself? When he went to Cornelius' house. Yeah. In fact, he kind of put himself down. He says, you know, normally I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't be hanging out with you guys. <laughs> Too much prejudice in this old heart. But God told me to, and it's all about Jesus. Yeah, you know, from, basically from Pentecost on, every time you see Peter stop talking, he's talking about Jesus. He's pointing to Jesus. Pentecost did a work on him. Should do a work on us too. Okay? You know, and especially when he's testifying before the opposition, when he's been called before the religious leaders, he's been arrested twice, knows he's facing consequences. He was beaten the first time, beaten harder the second. Well, he wasn't beaten. First time he's threatened, second time he's beaten. Um, but he just stood up and said, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, being put to death for his faith. He obviously didn't deny his faith. All right. So there's a lesson here for us too. You know, we all live our own lives. We all have our own environments at work or family or school. or whatever. But how often do people see Jesus in us because that's what's really important to us and that's what we're trying to point to? Maybe not literally, you know, although hopefully we're doing that literally by talking about Jesus, but in our life, how much does Jesus shine through? Okay.
Okay, the fourth and last one there is Peter served Jesus in spite of great cost. Okay, what are some examples from his life where where Peter chose to serve Jesus in spite of great cost? There's a lot of overlap, by the way, between these. What are some some stories in Peter's life where he served Jesus in spite of a great cost? Yeah, he was willing to die for him. Yep. And And that's true not just at the end of his life. I mean, I think it's so cool, the story we looked at a couple weeks ago, when he's arrested after James has been put to death, he knows he's next, and he's sleeping in peace. Okay, I'm good, I'm with Jesus, you know. Lisa. Giving up everything, and again, leaving that, basically the cash on the beach, right? In the form of fish, but this great big thing of cash. Yeah, he left everything to follow the call. Okay, any other examples you can think of? That's right. When he went to Cornelius' house in obedience to God, he knew it would cost him. And it did. I mean, he had to go back to the church where everybody was criticized. Well, not everybody. Good number of people were criticizing him, and he had to face that opposition. And he did it steadfastly, lovingly, but said God said to do it. And, but it didn't necessarily mean it was easy. You know, so that was a cost. Yeah. Well, again, we were talking about when he's testifying before the religious leaders, knowing there's going to be consequences. I mean, you stand up and they tell you not to do something. You say, well, you're telling me not to do that, but I think I'll obey God, not you. Amen. You know, and so you know there's going to be consequences, and there were, and there were. He was threatened so many times. Um, even Jesus, we were talking about how when they were on the beach of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus says, do you love me? He says, I really love you. As part of that conversation, he tells Peter, basically, your life's not going to end well. You know, and Peter had no idea when that was going to be fulfilled. It ended up being fulfilled like 30 years later. But he had to go through the rest of his life saying, well, Jesus said, my life's not, that's a paraphrase, my life's not, is that going to be today? Is it going to be this week? Is it going to be this year? But he constantly kept going forward, kept pursuing with a passion what God called him to do, knowing that eventually he was going to pay a price. And I'm sure paying a number of prices along the way. Tim. That particular incident was the first step of God dealing with him about his attitude toward what was unclean. So he stayed with Simon the Tanner. The Tanner worked with dead animal bodies, and Jews weren't supposed to do that. And so that was the first step in that whole process. So there's a number of areas there where where Peter served Jesus in spite of a great cost. And again, that's a good thing for us to examine our own lives. You know, when it's easy to serve Jesus, it's easy to serve Jesus. But what about when it's not easy? What about when it costs something? What about when people come against us? What about when we get a reputation that we don't want to have, maybe even unjustly deserved or not not deserved? You know, what if it means that we lose a promotion um, in the workplace because even though they're not supposed to, we know it's because we're a Christian. They're not going to give it to us. You know, what if we're in a situation where our following Jesus is going to cost us something? You know, we don't face it in this country, but, you know, if we were in a country where being a Christian could get you arrested and thrown in prison or beaten or even put to death, how would we respond? And sometimes people say, well, I don't know how I'd respond, but I think God would give us the grace, if our hearts are right, to handle whatever. Yes, Jada. That's right. Yeah, you're blessed when you're persecuted. But, but in our flesh, we don't want to find out. <laughs> It's like, I feel pretty blessed when I'm not persecuted. But you're right. You're right. God blesses us when we're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Yeah. Lynn, you had another comment? Yeah. That is another good thing to examine our hearts. And if we look at our lives and say, well, yeah, I don't suffer that much persecution, is to ask ourselves, why not? 
Now, we don't necessarily need to expect that people in the United States would want to imprison us or put us to death for our faith. But if we are truly living for Jesus in every area to the extent that we are, are we experiencing as much persecution as perhaps we should be? You know, is Jesus really shining through us? Is it really making it? That's not meant to make anybody feel condemned or whatever, but that is something to consider. Because Paul told Timothy that if you really want to live a godly life, you will suffer some persecution. may not be at the same level as somebody else, but there's going to be pushback. If there's no pushback in our lives because we're a Christian, maybe people don't really realize that we're Christians. And that's something to think about. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to finish on time, which hardly ever happens. But (laughs) may we follow Peter's example in every way that he followed Christ. Hopefully we can avoid some of his mistakes, but we won't avoid all mistakes. But when we do make a mistake, we do fall, we do fail. Hopefully we'll come back to Jesus as quickly as Peter did. So that concludes our study of Peter's life. Next week, as I said, Norris will be bringing the lesson. The following week, we'll pick up something new. I still don't know exactly what that is, but it's going to be good because it's going to be God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we've had tonight to study, uh, for the last time in this series anyway, Peter's life and kind of wrap it all up, summarize it, and see how it applies to our lives. And God, help us to avoid the mistakes Peter made. Help us to avoid the mistakes that we're prone to make. But God, when we make them, help us to be very quick to repent and come back to you. But Father, I pray that you'd stir in my heart and in our church, Lord God, a passion, a new, fresh, deeper passion to know you, love you, and serve you with all of our heart, and to be willing to do that no matter what it costs so that we can point people to you, not ourselves. And Father, we thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 